Hi, and welcome to a very special edition of the Fantastic Universes podcast. We have been talking, my friends and I, Scott Weatherly from the 20th Century Geek podcast and the inimitable Tony Farina from the Indie Comics Spotlight podcast about Alan Moore's unsung classic, The Ballad of Halo Jones. If you haven't heard part one of this, head over to the 20th Century Geek show right now and listen to book one. And after this episode, head over to Indie Comics Spotlight on the Comics in Motion feed for part three. But for now, here we go. On board the Clara Pandy across the universe for the second volume of Alan Moore and Ian Gibson's Ballad of Halo Jones. Book two has possibly my favourite recap. <laughs> oh my god! Of, of anything, of, of anything ever. Yeah, and as you sort of said, Easter eggs everywhere. First oh, yeah. page: Institute of Parahistorical Studies, uh, founded by Lux Rothschild. Yep. It's just everywhere. So wonderful little bits of uh, Easter eggs and stuff all over the place. Um, yeah, it's now sixty-four twenty-seven is yeah. the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. So and Professor I.J. Brunhauer is giving <laughs> yeah. his lecture and it's a work of art because he clearly, like us, does his research and he's looked into the life of this woman and one of the best lines of that whole intro is she wasn't anyone special. I and in a way that. that's totally true, but because of what she did, totally untrue. Mm. She made herself special. She She did that herself, but she came from where we did. She but was it's just a fa- ordinary girl. But it's that final sort of comment about that, isn't it? I mean, we'll get you know the final um, thought around that is like you know she's, she's anybody is her favorite of like anybody could have done it. Yeah, you know, and there's so much and uh, that one line, th- this this intro, it both I both love it and a bit like a bit but a bit like you though, Tony, what you've said about Alan Moore, and it's the it's the sense of what if in his of you know of of comics history is this book. This intro makes me both love and hate the rest of Halo Jones. For the simple reason, there's so much that I don't get to see. Because <laughs> there's all these like, what, what, what happens after book three? You've, you've hinted and you've Another teased me. Yeah. yeah, you've teased me with all these things and, and I don't get to see them. And it's so, it's so frustrating. But as you say, I, I love um, how inspirational she's become. Um, you know, in, in, as a legend, and um, one of the things that I think becomes a theme throughout this book, in particular, is this idea of identity and who we are uh, perceived by other people. And uh, we'll get into more in a minute. But this idea of like, oh, at one point there was like a masculine regime, and she Halo became Hal, and she was considered a male character. <laughs> and you're just like, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's life. Mm. It's life and um, the whole thing where people are adding apocryphal histories and this H. Olsen character who bears a striking facial resemblance to Halo was arrested for doing this, that and the other. And again, you don't find out about her and other, a couple of the big famous people from that future that she apparently met. So you're Marilyn Monroe or whatever else. And we don't get to see that story. But what's genius is this with this recap is it's brand new characters who uh, only one of them gets a mention again. Is catching up with everything that happened in book one, but it's when you read this recap that you think, well, hang on, shit, that stuff all did happen in book one. And I thought book one was, like you said, it was quite slow. It was quite built up. The big adventure was going shopping, but the world building he'd done, you didn't realise how much of it he'd done Mm. until you read this recap and you think, well, damn, yeah, he did. All that stuff did happen in book one. Yeah. It's so clever. But more than that, it brings you up to date as well because it makes you sort of think about because you never really get to catch up with certain characters. Um, and you also get to sort of, there's a suggestion of further fate because yeah. things happen on the, 
things happen on the hoop after Halo has left. And so, you know, she, you know, her walking away saved her life, but may, maybe not for Luddy, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you do get this feeling of like there was more to more happened. It's not the story that needs to be told, but more happened. Life goes on. As you said, Steve, like this is life. Like life just goes on. Like it doesn't stop. Um, and so well, that's... I think that's right. I think what what this section is, this historical look back from what a couple hundred years in the future that it right it is so clever steve because what it gives us is we remember the people we're told to remember and then later on in life we find out like there was this other person this other story this other thing and it's usually and this is again super meta so you guys can tell me if you think i'm totally crazy it's always an artist who tells us the story so so, for example, in my country, right, a couple of years ago, a young scrappy uh, playwright turned Alexander Hamilton into uh, this, this phenomenon. Uh, he didn't embellish anything. There had been tons of books written about Alexander mm. Hamilton. Well, but what Lin-Manuel did was, like, took his life and reminded us all of how this scrappy nobody, he was nobody special. How did a bastard orphan son of a whore change our whole world, change our con- my country? And so what I think what I think Alan Moore is saying, and this is you guys tell me if you think I'm crazy with this intro, with this cold open for for act two. Is artists get to artists are the ones who remind you of who's important. History books exist. But I, so he's showing you a historian, but he's creating this. So it's like this meta commentary that mm. Halo Jones is no one special, but you are no one special and you are important. You could go change the world. And so I don't know. Am I, is that crazy? Am I no. out of, am I out of no. my Spot on. Because he's also saying that she was no one special, but here we are hundreds of years later talking about her in a history class. Guys, that could yeah. be you if you decide yeah. to do something with your life. Yeah, but then he, as the artist, Alan Moore is also there, I feel like winking at me. And it's just, I can't get away from him. Like, whenever I read him, I always am looking for that moment where he's like, huh? Huh? Yeah. Well, I, when Alan Moore like landed on Ellis Island, his name was actually I.J. Brunhauer, and they changed it to Alan Moore, <laughs> so they let him in. <laughs> They do. They do. Um, even if you look, like you you saying that thing of being winked at, like you know, um, I would say it's even more explicit. I don't think it's being winked at. I think there are two panels in yeah. this in, in this first intro where the student at the end of the lecture, the student comes up to uh, to talk to, or just before that, talk to the, the lecturer. Uh, but you you got the lecturer, and, and, and do you know what she said? Her most famous quotation, and the student says. Anybody could have done it, yeah. and Anybody what you've got there, and then you know he says, "Well, well, yes, that's exactly right." Uh, she said, "Anybody could have done it," but that is not two people talking to each other. That's two face-on, yeah. full, full sort of like portrait pictures yeah. of these characters looking out at you, the reader, saying, "Anybody, Anybody could have done it." it this is this is Moore and Gibson literally telling you like. Yeah. Anybody can do these things. You've just got to take that step to become that person. Um, and so, yeah, again, like you know, you, you said about this being ahead of its time. It so is. So is these 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 ideas, like you know, um, and it's weird to think of. If I'm perfectly honest, it's kind of weird to think of Alan Moore trying to be inspirational for young people across the <laughs> world because of how grumpy he is. But I'm sure I'm sure he wanted to be people to be themselves, to be the best person they could be. But oh. well, it's part of the reason why he's not talking to any comics publisher in the world right now, because he's just being <laughs> himself. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair well, point. That's why we don't get the I'm rest being... of this story. And, and, it's, yeah. and it's so prophetic here and like you said scott and i didn't know that so pat didn't like the first arc so alan's like all right i'll give you something else but also it seems to me that he knew the writing was on the wall and what i remember and we'll talk about this towards the end because i would like to fan fiction a little at the end neil 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 himself i'll bow before neil has said he's read an outline he knows how it ends yeah. He's oh, one of the yeah, handful yeah, yeah. of people in the world who knows what could, we could have gotten. And, of course, he's keeping his mouth shut out of respect to his friend. The, the three of us know how Alan Moore works. Like, you know, obviously, we've not worked with him, but we, we've heard enough and you've read enough to know that there was a detailed script. 100%. For, for Ian Gibson on this. And 
I have no doubt in my mind that those nine books, you know, this isn't George Lucas pontificating later down the line saying <laughs> I had nine things. No, no, no. Alan Moore. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Alan Moore had this, this, th- this intro tells me that. You know, Alan he did Moore. because of the names he drops, the characters exactly. he mentions that we never meet. Yes. You know, because of in the first book, the things he says that happen in the second book and the third book. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. This stuff was delineated, written down, scored in his own mind, probably in half the scripts where he's written a note, say Ian, you have to draw this thing in here because in six books time, it's going to be it's important. Going to come back. Cause yeah. Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman are notorious for that, for mentioning yeah. a character or showing you an item in a panel that becomes important later. Like, like Toby, the dog in mm. book one, um, you know, well, yeah, this guy's badass. He's like a dog terminator. He's wicked. And he talks. And then in book two, you think, Oh, oh fuck. shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a badass Terminator dog. That's not good. Yeah, yeah. yeah what a exactly. punch in the face too oh, with Toby. One of right? the greatest betrayals I've ever experienced in fiction. It's, but what? Wow. <laughs> but again, like you say, you know, because we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll 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 get to that because again, it's it's such a gut punch. Um, and again, it comes down to almost like that. Uh, you know, although he's a robot dog, it comes down to this, like you say, about being real. Like, you know, and you put he's everything a through a sci-fi. Yeah. yeah, but like you say, you put through a sci-fi lens. Yeah, but he's a stalker. He's a he's a an abuser. He's a, you know, Toby is a, is a manipulator and all this other stuff. And you think like the moment when he say he finds out about his memory loops being um, mm-hmm. given and stuff, you think, oh yeah, th- th- you know, whoa, this could. Whoa. Yeah. He pins the engineer against the wall and he goes, dude, if this she's listening to these tapes, I'm coming back for you. And you think, what's on those tapes? And when you find yeah. out. Yeah. Bang. I mean, it's like I said, he makes, before Toby, the only famous robot dog I can think of is K9. Yeah. And he's just like tech support and like, <laughs> oh, shut up, you annoying little shit. And then you get Toby, who is like a fully rounded, like you said, Tony, stalker, killer, hunter, protector, and secretly in love with Halo the whole time as well. You think, damn, if, if cybernetics are going to go this way, I don't know if I want to live in this world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Skynet's actually less scary. <laughs> well, and, but that's the thing about what happens next. So, so as we said, so when we move into book two, Halo's taking some agency. And so she's like, at the end of book one, she's like, fuck this place. I'm going to get on the ship. Yeah. And Rhodes is like, I don't think I can do it. So she and Toby get on this on the ship and off they go. And so we feel like, yeah, fuck it. She's got her own agency. Off she goes living her starship troopers life let's go Mm. and so you're in but then it's still because the first book she's 17 and now she's in her teens and early 20s and in volume two and it's that it's that moment of adulthood when you realize who you can trust and who you can't Mm -hmm. trust and i think my question to both of you and this is my thing with volume two the note that i had because volume two is is it's pretty short it's tight but it also um, I feel like it gives me the most to think about because of that mm. time in your life. Like you're, you're kind of restless. We, we say college, you're restless university years or your first job or whatever. You don't know fucking anything. So you feel like you said earlier, Scott, like you feel like, oh man, she's got her freedom and this is freedom. But does she, she's still mm-hmm. at the beck and call of all these men. Mm-hmm. And then there's this robot dog, a dog mm. who's also controlling her. So what did you make to that? Like, how did you feel like, did you feel like that was a step back for her? Or again, like you said earlier, Steve, is that just life? She makes a step. She's going to take her life in control. And then she learns, oh, fuck, I'm still at the beck and call of whoever. So it's not really freedom. How did you feel about it? Again, it was another motivator for her. It was another one where she thought, oh, I'm free now. But she wasn't. She was still being ruled by the ghosts of the past. And literally in this case, because the ghost of Brynner was part of the reason she left the hoop. But she thought that Brynner was murdered by a gang of whatever, and Toby discovered her when she realised, well, shit, Toby, who's protecting me, is doing it for all the wrong reasons, and he's only killed Brynner in the first place. And he was, It's like a double betrayal. He's her protector, but he destroyed her life. So it's deep. It's, I mean, it's, it's a black-and-white comic that came out every week mm. when I was, like, nine years old, but it's hmm. deep as shit. <laughs> it's unbelievable. 
Uh, yeah. No, I, the, the whole, I mean, the Toby thing is one part of it, but I think for me, this idea, you leave, you leave book one on this mm. high note of freedom, yeah. you know, stepping out of the hoop into uh, the, the Clara Pandy, this, this, you know, this representation of opulence to travel in space. And they mention this whole thing around space, like, you know, this whole thing of freedom going out. They keep talking about out. And that's obviously a repeated thing, theme throughout the book. And so you leave that, that, that chapter, that book going, she's done it. She's off. She's free. And then you open this book and you're like, she's now a servant. She's just as much, you know, she's, it's like a, a glorified waitress, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 but it, it's not quite a rug pull, but it's that thing of, like, more brings you back down to earth with a bit of a bump, you know, like, oh, no, she's not off space adventuring just yet. You've had this whole prelude of how amazing she right. is. Right, so you're expecting then, her to be, like, Han Solo, and then you're like, oh, oh you're yeah, Aunt Peru. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, I love that. And I, I, but I love the fact that he does that. Uh, but... But on that other note, it's this opportunity. It's that thing of like you say, it's the first step, isn't it? Like you, you quite quickly learn this is the first step. But you learn even within the first chapter. Um, oh, sorry, the such was the second chapter, but her pro- first proper chapter. How, firstly, like you know, she is taking the opportunities. Like she's willing to try things. I think that's what I always admire about Halo Jones. Like, right, the, the, their ability to talk with a dolphin. You know, she's utilizing it like she's exploring new things. Like you know, she's been making a new friend, and she's got the new her new um, toy. You know, her new oh, roommate. And, and yeah, and like so, it's like it's a bit of a sort of a, a thud. Yeah, she's not Han Solo or anything. Like you know, she's not Princess Leia going off and saving the universe. But she has got out, and she is now you know trying something new and doing these things. However, she's still really naive because at oh. the end of the chapter, she's there, at the very end of that first chapter, she's like, and I'm watching this star and it appears to be moving. And the guy's like, yeah, that's our shit tank. God, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But guys as well, do you not think, I mean, looking back to in our own lives, because this is the bit that struck me. And, and, and again, whenever I read this thing, I, I get tiny little bits of new stuff out of it where you're spot on with everything you've said that, She's made it. She's escaped. She's on the car She's got a job. She's got her independence. But mm. didn't happen to us. We got our first job, and we were like, "Oh my god, money! I can buy stuff." And yeah. then Within the space of six months, you think, "Well, hang on, job trapped forever in this endless cycle." Yeah. Of, you know, <laughs> oh damn you, well, capitalism! It's well, like yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But it, it happens fun. with everything, doesn't it? Like, so you get a new car. You win your your first car, and you go, yeah. "Got a car, freedom! Got to insure it." Got to pay for it. Got to do road tax. Got to pay for petrol. And you're like, mortgage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and think about space, you guys. This is the thing I love about space operas. Um, It seems, and the the thing that I love about Firefly is that Mal acknowledges in Firefly that he's trapped Mm -hmm. with with Serenity. Like, everything you just said is right there on its surface. And I'm sure Joss read this and was like, okay. But here's the thing about going out into space. It's seems like freedom but you if you can't like you said there's a shit bucket literally being towed behind <laughs> you you can't leave if you step out of the ship you're going to die so the, so you're not really exploring anything because they're just they're a ship she's trapped it's a it's, she changed one prison of the hoop for another prison of the ship and while it seems glamorous and there's all these rich people, she lives below decks. She's got toy. And I love toy, by the way. What a, what a character. Toys. But, mm. but I just think, I just think it's such a brilliant, con- like again, Starship Troopers. I, I to me, yeah. Alan Moore read Starship Troopers and then everybody else read this. Everybody who's yeah. read science fiction since this read this. And so to me, it's that same idea. Like Starship Troopers are like, yeah, let's get out of here. We're going to get out of Brazil and off we go. And like, Oh, you're trapped in a ship and then you're killing bugs. And then you're trapped in a ship, and your life really fucking sucks. You're not going anywhere. So I just like that idea of oh, let me tell you a, a very not really being anything. Nah, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, one of my wife's friends, uh, she went off to work uh, as a sort of like a childminder entertainer on a, on a cruise ship, um, straight out of university. And uh, she went off, and she was really, really good at it. And, you know, she sort of was getting tips left, right, center, and she did. She spent a couple of years out there. And she was pulling into Southampton, so she, she sort of messaged Alex and said, you should come down, you should see what we do on the ship. And it was a big 
proper luxurious, you know, uh, cruise ship. So this is many years ago when, you know, going on cruise ships didn't kill you. It was a thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we went down and we went you on this cruise You were allowed ship. to leave the country. Yeah, your house. Yeah. Um, and uh, we went on this cruise ship and she showed us around and you had this sort of luxurious, uh, much like the Clara Pandy, like big, you know, uh, party area, the meals and on deck you had like the shuffleboard and then this is where she did the entertainment of the kids. It was a massive soft play area and there was pools and it was amazing. I'm like, oh my God, this is a boat. Like this is a huge, you know, town on water. And then she's like, I've got to go get something from my cabin. And I'm thinking, well, I've seen the cabins here. They're pretty swank. And then you went below decks and we found out that the length of the ship is a single uh, channel. This one like passageway that they called the M1. And that's where all the food went. It's where all the food went. It's where everything. And just off this M1 were all the sort of staff cabins. And there were three people in this thing, in this cabin, that was probably like, you know, my car's probably bigger than this thing it was. And it was, you had to pull up to get to get into the room. You had to pull up one of the beds to open the door. And that's, so when I read this, when I read this first couple of chapters of, of, of book two that is in my head of here's all this opulence here's these amazing cabins here's the bar here's the dining area here's the shuffleboard here's the p here's halo jones working below deck just off the m1 mm -hmm. um so yeah it, it, it's see steve as you can say it's life do you know what i mean it's that that's what it is isn't it it's this is real you know you don't you don't get to become captain of the ship straight away you got to start mm -hmm. at the bottom Absolutely. Mm. And, and again, I it's think, that contrast to book one, isn't it? Mm. Oh, I think, and this is where, again, that you magnificent bastard, Alan, <laughs> you you, you yeah. can do things. Mark, when I interviewed Mark Russell, he said, the reason I like drawing, doing comics instead of writing books is that I can just leave it to somebody else. But we know, like, he's like, I don't have to write all the descriptions, but we know Alan's not that guy. We know Alan's a novelist who just brings in artists. Mm. So the fact that, like, everything that's on here is on the page because he, we've seen his scripts. We know mm -hmm. everything is here. Every background thing, you know, Mark Russell's, like, leaving it to Bob Q or leaving it to Steve, Steve Pugh. He's like, you guys do. No, Alan Moore knows everything that he's doing. And so, like you said, that contrast, and because we know that about him, we're like, well, God damn, like you, mm. you're showing us a totally different world, but you're also saying, look how she's different this is, trapped. and it's exactly the same, yeah. right? Yeah. She's still trapped. Absolutely. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I Am The Night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not fuck. Death. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A 
podcast by fans, for fans, making new fans, superheroes, or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion Podcast Network. All work and no play makes for a dull way to live, don't you agree? Join me, Adam Ray, and a very special guest each week on the Hostile Takeover, where they and I discuss their favourite game, PC, console, board game or tabletop, whatever they decide, what we will talk about. Let gaming be the way forward. Working's too much. It's time for a Hostile Takeover, coming soon to a podcast feed near you. Hi, my name's Steve. And I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Is that what he's asking us? Mm-hmm. Is 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 your twenties a bag of dicks? <laughs> Let's question. face it. One of the recurring themes in this set of three volumes is that song "Missing Planet Boy" by Ice yeah. Ten, and it appears throughout the three. And it's literally just like the theme: like you heard this song on the hoop, you heard it on the ship, you'll hear it in volume Later. three as well. It's like. History repeats itself. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think she's free at all until the very end of book three. No, I'd agree with that. Play I'm it keep... again, you little buzz globbly. Seriously, because yeah. play it again and play it again and play it again. You, you get that sort of, you've been given, you've been dangled the carrot. You've had that little yeah. bit of hope. And like I say, the, the second two books, they don't dash that hope. They just, Give you a bit of a, a dash of realist, you know, realism. Like here's yeah. the real, here's the real, here's the real word via via sci-fi. Yeah. Well, I think we can't we can't skip uh, the rats. Let's talk rats. In book oh, we two. have to. So rats, the rat king. So this is something. Of course, I'm coming at this now. So I've seen this rat king thing in other fiction, of course, mm-hmm. and so I and I didn't in bad podcasting fashion didn't do my research. But well, hopefully, because I, I was like, Steve's here, and I saw Steve's <laughs> notes in advance. So I thought, instead of me doing research, I'm just going to say, Steve, the rats, where is that from in literature, and why is it so important? Well, see, thing in literature, it's everywhere, um, yeah. from Crimean War stories to, to preceding that. But the funniest thing is, it's um, in history. This shit is real. Because there are places where they found nests of rats intertwined like that. And that's what's the scary part of it. I mean, if you look this shit up on Google and you look up a rat king, there's photographic evidence of it. And what I love about it in this book is the way it's just like an interesting chapter in one of her adventures in the Clara Pandy. 
But again, like you've said, ad infinitum, in true more fashion, it's a seed that will yeah. germinate and sprout in every different direction, even though we don't see it happen. Alamore is one of those great horror writers where he's the horror of the mind, where your mind fills in the blanks in far more horrible ways than any artistic mm. interpretation will ever do it. And his description of the Rat War come the end of book three. Yeah. <laughs> compared to what we see in this is just... Well, it's, it's one of those things, because the, the rats do pop up in this book, this, this, this book a couple of times. So you get the main adventure of her dealing with the Rat King. Um, and again, I love the way that it's presented in that she's naive and innocent and she's doing the best thing. She just gets pulled into a situation and does the best thing she thinks in that they're saying, well, look. Let's save these poor animals and we're going to die. Exactly. She's like, look, if we, if we don't get saved, we're going to die and there'll be big trouble. So she's like, well, I don't want big trouble. I'm going to find you another rat. So she, she is just doing what she thinks is right. She's, she's 18. Like, you know, we're yeah. all. Yeah. She doesn't question anything. She doesn't go and tell anybody. She just does. And that's, again, agency. She's, she's trying to have agency. And again, you do get that. That seed comes later to the end when they, they disembark from the, the Clarapandi and they say, oh, it's been sent off to the Tarantula Nebula. Yeah. Uh, and you do get. So you go, oh. And then when you, I've you heard know, that so, before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you do, you keep, well, that's been, that's been talked about from the, the Tarantula, from yeah. book one. Yeah. And so you do keep going, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, but you say about them being, um, you know, real. So I'll get, I, I actually Google this before, though, because I have another source for my fear of rats, and that is James Herbert. Oh. Um, so oh, I'm a massive, boy. yeah, I'm a massive James Herbert fan. James so, uh, you know, rat, uh, Rats, Lair, Domain um, are fantastic. I love those books. But Fluke. Yeah, but the, the, the Rats trilogy, and that is exactly this. It taps into exactly the same thing that, that uh, Alan Moore is talking about. This, this, this just swarming of these things, this fear of the rats. The, you, know, you, you have to remember, though, in Britain in particular, th this is part of our DNA because yeah. of the Black Death. Like every kid gets taught this at school that basically, you know, that in the 15th century, you sort of get the 1600s. It's like, yeah, they were shit because we had the Black Death followed by the Great Fire of London. But we all know, you know, it came across on rats. It was, it was the fleas and stuff on them, but it came across on rats. So the, the sort of uh, idea of rats swarming, and it mentions it later, bubonic plague and stuff, but the idea of rats swarming everywhere is just horrific. And so... You know, um, but the other thing I would say, I love this idea of this opulent ship that still has rats running around on yeah. it. So, well, ha it's so Halo, smart, right? Yeah, Halo's still like, oh, I've got to find a rat. Okay, I'll go find one. Yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. And so you're like, oh, actually, this rat still got this ship has got rats. That's kind of gross. <laughs> and well, but it isn't because anywhere sure. that there is opulence, yes. it, there's waste. And if there's waste, there's vermin. That's the point, is that this there should be no waste. It's a fucking cruise ship into uh, space. It's a big party. And yeah, the Richie, Richie, Richie may be like, I don't need this food, but that should be like, but it isn't. It is just waste and it's trash. Yeah. And they've literally got a shit truck that they're pulling behind them. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it is that idea too. And the thing about the rat, I thought of, of course, 1984, with rats which is when this was written and then of course that's when that you know the book was it was you know written in 48 mm. takes place then and that's winston's fear is the rats and that's the thing that gets him to turn at the end and what i love is that because there is this fear of rats and we all are freaked out at the idea of a swarm of rats halo's on nonplussed she's like i'll go get a rat mm. and so i love that that it's again it's that idea of her that agency she's like i'm not going to let the rats be afraid of me i'm not gonna let them swarm me i'm just gonna be their boss i'm gonna be their boss i'm gonna help them out and yeah. it was just such a lovely touch to say something that that we all think of as vermin that are that are terrifying that scared the shit out of us but not halo mm -hmm. and it makes her and it makes her better than us even though they're saying anyone could do it i couldn't do it scott yeah. you've made it very clear you couldn't have done it mm -mm. <laughs> yeah i wouldn't have been bothered but the one bit that terrified <laughs> me about the whole scene was the fact that she catches well? Thanks to Glyph, may he she. Which we need to peace. talk about Glyph. We'll get we need to, to talk yeah. about Glyph. Before we move on, yeah. Well, thanks to Glyph, she catches the rat, 
And the terrifying aspect of it to me was the way she put the rat down. And as soon as the rat saw the other rats, all he did was turn around and raise his tail like he knew. knew. Mm. And I found that absolutely terrifying. <laughs> That's the bit that scared me. Picking up a rat, taking him to the other rats. Yeah, not an issue. I'm not scared of spiders, rats, snakes, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm cool yeah. with that. Any, any of that stuff. But that part fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, it, it's true. It's true, though, isn't it? Because it's that it's that alter, alternative um, intelligence mm -hmm. that you recognise in them, especially because you realise that they've manipulated her. Yeah, you know. So they've told her like big trouble, big trouble, and it ends with trust we. You know, is yeah. it not tr trust us? Trust we. Yeah, but that's that the thing, me, though. Man. They're rats, but they kept their word. They didn't mm -hmm. rat her out. Oh God, that was bad. I didn't mean to say that. No, no, I loved it. They, they, they kept their word. They're actually more trustworthy and honourable than fucking humanity. Well, so why, the, I why though? I'll ask the question: Why though? Because they know where they're going, and they yeah. know why they're being taken there. So it's because the, they know. You know, we'll get into that when we get to book three. They know that this is an illegal thing, so they're trying to keep low it. So ratting Halo out is just as bad as ratting themselves out. So. It's in their yeah. self-interest in that respect because they, you know, they, that's why I consider them to be manipulative. They make her think she's in the one that's in that could be in trouble, but actually it'd be them. I think if they were if things were to find out, like someone found out a rat king was being transported, they'd be hell to pay. Yeah. So it's an interesting little manipulation. But I also think though, they could have just often don't leave any witnesses. Oh yeah, yeah. They let her live. Mm. So. But there is the, that, I agree. It's the, yeah. But she's good. Like, mm. in that moment, because we see her do some bad shit later. And again, so it's it's playing with our... And we see her bad do bad shit. shit at the same time right now. So this will be the tie-in to Glyph. This is how we'll talk about Glyph. So Halo does this thing for rats because mm. she sees them as as herself. Like, she sees the rat and herself having a parallel existence. And then there's Glyph, who just has been ignored and this is i'm in the middle of the great buffy rewatch and there's a buffy story about this scott westerfeld in his zeros book has a character called anon who's like this who is so ignored and forgotten that everybody forgets so uh, claire north has written a book about this so this is the thing that obviously has been taken from this book and we're like oh i love that alan moore idea nobody read halo jones i'm just gonna steal the fuck out of it, and I'm gonna <laughs> put it in my thing. we're just totally fine but but what it also shows us is it breaks our heart and people can't see Steve's face. But when Steve first said Cliff's name, it was heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And so we see in the same book in part two, and this to me is the ultimate juxtaposition about your 20s and, and trying to figure out, like, what are your priorities? These rats, which seem to be irrelevant but will matter later, mm -hmm. matter more to Halo than a person who's living in her fucking house. Yeah. And so yeah. you see her be an angel and a devil at the same time. And she's an angel to these vile vermin that spread disease. And she's the devil to someone who we all, I glyph is awesome. Yeah. And glyphs end is tragic. So I, oh, so I see. And heroic. It, yeah. Unknowing, it's that unknown soldier kind of thing, isn't it? Like sacrificing her life, but or his life. Well, this is the thing as Their well. Their life. Yeah. Yeah. Th this is the thing is just to sort of throw it throw it in there. Uh, you say about this character being forgotten. Th this book, I, I say about identity. And before we get into it, like this whole book's about expressing who you are, and you go through this period of trying to find out who you are, aren't you? In your in your twenties, like you know, am I a rocker? Am I a punk? Am I you know going to be this that whatever? And Glyph is that sort of thing where with technology, they sort of split from one thing to the other. They're indecisive. And because of indecision, they end up becoming none of it, which I think is an interesting thing of, you know, trying to satisfy everybody and satisfying nobody. But this thing's introducing, like, gender fluidity and gender yeah. politics. Like, in the, in the 80s, like, this yeah. is a conversation we're, yeah. that we're having now. Honestly, I will say that this book categorically was probably my first ever exposure to that and mm. in book three where toy reveals to us because mm. halo just doesn't get it that the toy's in love with her and at 14 15 when i was reading this this was my first complete exposure to that um so like you said before it's time in every way shape or form this book 
I still, it blows my mind that this was written in 1984 because it's yeah. so relevant. And now, 35 years later, no, how long? 85, 95, 05, 15. Yeah, 35 uh, odd years later. Yeah. It's bonkers. Yeah. But th- but this story of Glyph of like you know sort of like people you know ignoring them and uh, falling between the cracks, but I, I like this part of initially identifying the perks. Like yeah. I could go yes. to a shop and, and get what I yeah. what I've wanted. I can catch no, the Yeah, <laughs> or like I like the fact that she goes into people's houses and joins their dinner table and nobody notices her. She can join conversations and stuff. But th- again, this comes to not just Moore's writing. Ian Gibson's drawing of Glyph is is you know is uh, gender neutral. Like you could never say yeah. you couldn't say yeah. if it's a, if it's you know, male or female or whatever. But you know it, it's she, the way he's drawn is child is childlike. Yes, and yeah. she's draw, he's obviously drawn it for that for a reason. But you know, sort of like you know, big eyes, large forehead, and those sorts of th- those proportions that make us feel something. But like I I can't help but feel. Mm-hmm. from the out from the offset and so when when she does sacrifice herself yeah. themselves later on i can't you, yeah it's it's just, heartbreaking yeah yeah and and um yeah just and that's re- when the, that's that's the horrible thing as well again that it's just so bloody deep that it's only after glyph is dead that they're missed like Halo says, something's not right. Something's missing from my apartment. I can't put my finger on it. Something's wrong. Mm. And haven't we also, as well, been there moments in our lives where we just felt invisible, where we felt ignored, where we felt like no one understood us or saw us for who we were? And it's just, I mean, the philosophy in this book for a black and white weekly comic, it's comic. Um, I love it. Uh, it's why it remains one of my favourites. It's one of those things though, that her, the, their sacrifice. I'm going to be careful with this. Their sacrifice, though, the way it comes. Oh. And again, this is more really mm-hmm. sort of pulling the rug. Like he throws punches at you left and right. Like the, the end. The, this is uh, episode seven. Puppy. It's Lord. almost the end. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. The end. Yeah. We've got a so, couple books after that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've now you've had the Toby reveal. Right, Halo has seen the, the memory things, and she's you've had the Toby. So you now get the Terminator moment of being pursued by yeah. Toby, and so you're getting in, you're thinking, okay, the next two, it's sort of eight and nine, seven and eight, are action ones. There's a pursuit and there's fighting, yeah. and you're in that mode, and so he's hitting you, you know, with his left hook, and then you get the end of Glyph comes in and tips over the sort of you know because she's been they've been hiding out the way, tips over this flammable liquid. Ex- basically, you know, exploding Toby and themselves in the process, and there's just this uppercut of, of like, yeah, you you weren't expecting this. Just one. when you thought I hadn't kicked you, I want to kick you in the balls. Now there you go, take oh, that. <laughs> and and the final line of that issue, and mm. it's when Toy says, uh, nobody, says died here. "Nobody died today." Oh. <laughs> it's just Brutal. like. Oh. Well, here's the thing, and this is because to me, the the Casablanca ending of book two is mm. delightful. Yeah. But mm. it, it, the payoff of that of of Halo looking miserable, the play it again, Sam, you know, thing at the end of book two, only happens because of glyphs. Because yes. so she's been she's she's been deceived by by um, Toby. Toby. She's done something good for Vermin and been rewarded sort of, or at least not harmed. Mm-hmm. And then she, and through all that, so she thinks she's come through smelling like a rose and then glyph dies. And that's like, that's the moment to me. And I'm just going to ask you guys this, if you're talking about philosophy, but also is it a little autobiographical for more? Is that the moment when, when if halo Jones is Alan Moore and he kills off glyph, is that the moment when he realizes we're not getting the end of this book. Does he know, is the writing on the wall for him, what's going on? And so he just breaks our hearts and breaks Halo without Halo really knowing what's happening. Is he sending a warning to us like, shit's bad, shit's going to get worse, pay attention. Because the things that you think aren't important are important. This book is important to you. You may not, and I don't know, I'm just, because again, I'm coming at it now. Yeah, I I think... 
going back. I don't think that just, he hadn't had the sort of the falling out at this point. He didn't know yet. Okay. Um, okay. That, that they came, were writing these kind this of. This book was wildly successful. Let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, even, yeah. Okay. even though okay. Pat Mills and the Powers of Be of Two Thousand E didn't like book one, it was so hugely successful, and fans mm. and critics loved it that it led to book two. Um, within the space of a year, I think that, yes. that book two yeah, yeah. was printed, uh, and then book two killed it even more. At this point, he was steadily progressing to writing the next six mm. books. It's oh, okay. only halfway okay. through book three that the shit hit the fan. Oh, okay, yeah. so that there's no there's no premonition there with this. Okay, no, I I think it's more a case of I think you hit you hit the nail on the head with the other bit of him setting you up to say. Yes. This isn't an easy ride. Yeah, Shit is going to get real, and you are going to yeah expect worse yes. because you've in the first one like de- death is constant throughout all these yeah. books. Like, and you've had like you said the ghost of Brina sort of like you know mm-hmm. from the first book, which is fine, but you don't see that like it's left you know it's it's sort of discovered post sort of event. Um, but with this like Glyphy, you see that like you are part of it you're emotional but this is more like luddy sort of coming back as a sort of like a you know the, as the, the drummer like but this is a more steady gut punch yeah. um for that reason um and and so yeah I, I think that's what it is i think it's just him sort of i think it's, this is more the other thing i would say is though is about going back to the very very first opening of this book uh, of book two you have this professor you know sort of pontificating about all the research he's done and him following th- thing and i love the fact that what alan i think the other thing alan Moore's telling you is he could have done all the research in the world he would have never known about glyph yeah no one would ever know about glyph, no right? one. And only we know and halo but, doesn't even know yeah but this one page this one page of what happens to toby you know, what, what they do to pr- stop toby allows everything else to happen it yeah. does yeah and it yeah, never, it, yeah, so she is critical, but will never, ever be yeah. celebrated. Yeah. And again, going back to that beginning, he's, again, like you said, the crumbs. So he's setting it up saying, here's this historian, 1,400 years in the future, looking at looking back at Halo. It's 1,400 years, you guys. Yeah. Think about yeah. that. What the fuck do we know about 1,400 years ago that's real? <laughs> it's all bullshit. It's, there's mm. always a somebody. There's a, there was a tailor. There was a blacksmith. There was a somebody who did a thing that allowed whatever the thing we know about to happen. And so Glyph is that moment. Glyph mm. is that thing. And what you just said, Scott, is so true that we'll never know about Glyph. And, and, and yet Halo is broken, not just because Toby dies, but because Glyph dies and, and Halo misses Glyph, but doesn't know it. And then yeah. that sets, it's like that longing that like, it's again, it's like, I don't know what I want for my life. And so I might as well go now do something else because now because it like you said, death is the key. Death yeah. is the catalyst for. So it's not even subtext; it's just text. Yeah. Alan Moore is just saying, when shit goes bad, you got to make a change. So mm. shit goes bad, Halo makes change. End of book two. Shit goes bad. Halo's got to make a change. And and the and the way that she stood up by Rhodes. I mean, did either of you ever think? I never thought she was going to show up ever once. No. 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 All math and trousers. Why did why did Halo think so? What do you think that's about? Is that is that uh, just because her youthful exuberance was there? Hope. It's hope. It's her yeah. hope that her friend will turn up. Like, yeah, she's naive. She hopes. I don't think she ever really believed it. Plus the fact that at the end of the day, Halo Jones just comes across as slightly nicer and a little bit better than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason I love her because she does have that hope, and it can be looked at as naivety, definitely. But um, hey, if if your best friend tells you they're going to meet you um, in in our world, they usually do, and that's the thing that her world's just that little bit crueler, harsher, and 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 like I said, not the sci-fi future anyone wants. <laughs> yeah, and I don't there's, want it. there's living proof. Yeah, poor old Rodis, um, oh. who honestly was perfectly happy on the hoop. Mm. It's all an act. Yeah, it, right. Because she she thought she had to go along with what everyone mm. else like. She and there's and there's nothing wrong with being content and no, being we, we we call being content being complacent. Mm. And and we see the two like Halo wasn't content. No. And so therefore, she deems she sees what Rodis says as complacent, but we don't have to. 
Correct. But it's but she I don't know. It's just it's I love that ending. I love the mm. Casablanca ending of book two. I thought yeah. that's smart. And again, because he's drawing on things like he's he's not pretending that he's not read other things. Just like people who stole in glyph and stuck in glyph in their yeah. books isn't pretending they didn't read this. So I just I just appreciate that was such so lovely. And, you know, and again, Steve, you were a 14 year old boy when you read this. You probably hadn't seen Casablanca yet. So for when you saw Casablanca at some point or maybe you did. But the people who read this first and then they see Casablanca later, they're like, damn. I didn't know that's what you did. I, I that's had so awesome. Yeah. Oh, you had already. Okay. I, I knew. Yeah. I knew your top blood's lovely was Sam. Definitely knew. Yeah. Um, but um, it's just one of those things Alan Moore does where he'll take the absolutely familiar and then turn it on its head. So hey, I know this song. Yeah, it's it's quite popular. So yeah, play it again. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so good. And the theme: death is a constant companion throughout all three yes. books. That song is a constant companion throughout all three yeah. books. I think. I think one of my favorite moments in this this final last couple of pages and it's again quite telling is when Rhodes finally gets through to halo and they have that conversation and you know Rhodes is like oh i I didn't you know i didn't come i'm calling you from the hoop and halo's like oh right and she's like well you're coming back now aren't you so i can see you when you come back and halo's like no like i'm not don't get it i'm not coming back and I think, like, Rodis thought, like, you know, when she left, she's like, oh, she'll go off. She'll get out of a system. And you, yeah. you do have those people, don't you? Like, you say, like, you know, about all kinds of things. Go get out your system. Go get your, have your gap here. Come back and then settle down. And, again, like, that thing of, like, you know, it's almost like you, the, the way that Rodis says it is, like, well, what do you mean you're not coming back? You know, and it's 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 clearly crushing her hope. And Halo could have been just as nice. Said, "Oh yeah, no, I'll, I will come back or whatever." But, but she wouldn't lie. Yeah, that's not but she did. wouldn't lie. She's like, no. Exactly. Um, but like, and I like the, the final thing that Reddy Seven says is, "Where will you go?" And she just says, "Out." Which again, we know, and she just Out. clicks. Yeah. So, but it's that decision. It's that decision of like, I'm not going back. I'm now here. And so again, although it's although it's a melancholy ending because it doesn't, it isn't the ending that she wanted. It's still that next step of out. No, mm. no, no. There is only out. I'm not going back. I'm forward facing. And so it still has that sort of optimism that still has that hope. So you don't have the high hopes of the first book, but there's still that hope. There's still that yeah. drive forward. So you do end up on a sort of, but then, so then, yeah. So then the start, we'll, we'll get onto the third book in a minute. Yeah. But to, so the third book then gives a, a real gut punch. Oh, but um, but so should we do, should we do sort of final thoughts then on, on book two, just sort of uh, as we yeah. go around. Uh, Steve, what are your final thoughts then on the on the? I love again. We've said that so many people have lifted so much stuff from these stories, but like Tony said, that Alan Moore's not afraid to say who his heroes are the whole fact that the cetaceans are dolphins and mm. the rat king is such a tribute and a nod to the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah. and everything else and again that's a huge part of my childhood and teenage years those books are perfection to me so again that my heroes also got heroes who are also my heroes is is inspirational this girl who could be me in a couple of thousand years time um honestly when it comes to characters that i love and sympathize with she is up there and she's a girl character and she's not wonder woman she's not that mm -hmm. girl she's not she's just the girl who said she wanted to go out and do everything and damn if that's not the best advice you can give anybody yeah yeah i think that's really well said i think what i like about volume two um writ large is is that it's just that conversation about we of moving while standing still which is which is what happens in your 20s because when we mm -hmm. meet her again she's exactly. 29 mm. she's, at the, she's at the last year of her 20s so so we skip some things of course but it's just that idea and it just felt real to me again reading it as a 47 year old looking back on my 20s and graduate i had my kids in my 20s i had a failed marriage in my yeah. 20s um you know, I, I did a shit ton and it was your 20s are hard if you're living. I think your 20s are hard if you're living right. Yeah. And then, so I think uh, so I just appreciated it. And it's like 
in this moment, this is when I connected the most with her because in volume three, which I love, I don't connect with as much because I wasn't a soldier. I don't do the things that Halo mm. does. So, so to me, I just think it's that, that universality of being a 20 year old, no matter what century you're in, like you said, Steve, it could have been you in 1400 years. Um, it, it just, I, I think it's just a, it's a love letter to a time gone and it doesn't matter whether it's a male character, a female character, or a binary, non-binary character like Glyph. We just look at this moment in our lives and are like, man, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful mess. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, a beautiful mess is a perfect description of this because it's not, you know, endlessly depressing. Like, you know, some people, you know, some sci-fi can be like, but it's not endlessly optimistic. It literally has from book, you know, from episode to episode, ups and downs. Like, you know, there's an episode where they where you get the story of Glyph and this sort of person that comes and goes out their life, or she has a little adventure with the Rat King, you know. But then there's also the betrayal, as you say, someone from her past betrays her, and that's tragic and massive in her life and plays a huge part. But then also there are other things like she's progressed on the ship. She gets to swim with a, a you know a sentient dolphin. Uh, and eventually she leaves by having had a, a dance with one of the richest people, the person who owns the ship. Yeah. Well, Rothschild. Yeah. So, you know, it's this thing of like, you're right. You, you, you live your life and you have ups and downs and you meet people and this. And, and, and that's exactly like what this book is. It's literally those sort of things. So I love book two. I think book two is that thing of like, you know, like you said, just so relatable uh, whilst being, you know, incredibly good sci-fi. I, I, I can't believe I, we, or we forgot rather, not just I, that the whole Luxroth chop thing and the famous newscaster, the, the, the lady in the dress who turns out to be the voice of Swifty Frisco, yes. the TV announcer on the hoop. And she's after this uh, navigator guy throughout the whole book. She says this guy she likes and she wants to talk to. And Swifty Frisco stole my man again. It's one yeah. of the best lines in the whole. <laughs> It's genius. And again... We've been there. We've all had that that one that got away and the, hers got away in the worst way possible, stolen by a fictional character. <laughs> and that's it. She's headed out. She's done everything. But where will she end up? Is war in her future? Head on over to the Indie Comics Spotlight for Volume 3 of Alan Moore and Ian Gibson's Ballad of Halo Jones. Outside the line, all standing, waiting Heroes, villains, angels, satans Oh my goodness gracious Worth it to see the hotel star's faces We made it, the date is eventually here End of the convention, here three cheers! Stories, panels, stalls, stands, skits Professor Elemental's on about six Of course at every con there's a couple of dicks That's not real steam, shut up, yes it is Every other person makes it better Every volunteer all holds it together Yes! You finally found your tribe yes. Every type all here inside We're all equal, we're all worthy I don't know why they all have a go at furries If you want to dress up as a giant rabbit And have relations with a man squirrel That is none of my business Get down, crammed in the back with a hazardous drinker, swing of absinthe, I'm back from the brink. No. And nobody knows the rules, odd noises in hotel rooms. Oh. Bubba Fett hugging the fanatical fan, Darth Vader down with six Batmans. Parties packed, jams eclectic, fandom army all connected. All the best 
same All invited, join the game All done, all the best, then cheers I'm all broken, see you next year Just want to swim around and live in a, live in a comic.